All right. Well, welcome again to H2O. It is really good to have you here with us today. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here if I haven't got a chance to meet you. And uh, we are excited to be together, excited to launch into 2019. I want to welcome H2O Akron, who's joining us via video today as well. And as we launch into this new year, uh, I know that New Year's, they, they bring some excitement. It's kind of interesting, right? Because we know that there's really nothing like physiologically that changes. There's nothing astronomically that changes from, you know, December 31st to January 1st. But there is something cool with in our hearts and our minds when you start a new year. It just gives you an opportunity to kind of reflect and think about what you want the next 365 days to look like. Now, some of us, we're big into resolutions. Just really quick, show of hands. Any of you guys make some resolutions? Anybody into New Year's resolutions? Yeah, a handful of us. Now, others of us, we are skeptical of those people who made those resolutions, right? Because we know that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they don't come to fruition. But I think we all have this in common. As we come to a new year, we have some hopes we have some dreams. We may have written them down. We may not have. We may have made them formal. We may not have. But there's something within each one of us that as we head into this year, we are excited. For some of us, it's subtle. And for others of us, it's in the forefront. But there's things that we want to see happen. There's things that we want to see happen relationally. There's things that we want to see happen in our lives financially. Maybe you have some career goals or education goals. Maybe you have some physical goals that you've set for yourself. Uh, whatever it is, many of us have some pictures of, that we want to see happen. And our hope here at H2O as we head into 2019 is that you not only have all those goals, but that you have some dreams and some hopes for what you want to see happen spiritually in your life in 2019. We hope that you're heading into this year with the idea of how can you pursue God and grow more towards him and be active in your faith. But as we're starting this new series that we're calling Do Something, we know that for us to actually have changes in our life, it requires us to take action, doesn't it? I think that's one of the reasons why some of us are so skeptical of resolutions, because maybe you've seen some people who say like, oh yeah, this year I'm going to lose a ton of weight. You know, I'm going to get in shape. It's going to be great. And you're like, oh, that's really good for you. What, what are you hoping to, to do to make that happen? And they're like, oh, I hadn't thought that far. You know, I, I didn't. What changes are you going to make? Are you going to change your diet? Are you going to exercise more? Oh, no, I was just hoping it would happen, you know, magically. Or financially, I'm going to get my financial house in order. Oh, that's great. Or are you going to spend a little bit less? Are you going to get a different job? Well, no, I just wanted it to fall into place, you know. We know that for actual change to happen, it takes us doing something and partnering with what is already happening in our life. And I think that whether it is a written down 10-step plan or whether it's just us acting, we know that that's what's required for us to move forward. And I think it's interesting, though, because many times we treat our spiritual lives a little bit different, don't we? We know that it takes us working and doing things to make changes in our life in so many other areas. But oftentimes we think spiritually that things are just supposed to fall into place, that things are just supposed to magically happen for us. And so oftentimes we're not intentional about doing things in our pursuit of God and growing with him. Many times our spiritual lives, they've just kind of led us to this point of stagnation or indecision or not being able to move. And, and, and as we think about this reality, as we head into this year, I think we've actually over-spiritualized indecision sometimes. We've over-spiritualized inactivity 
in our spiritual lives. If you've been around church for a while, maybe you picked up on some of this Christian language that some of us have. We call it Christianese sometimes. And we, we, we've actually had these phrases for inactivity in our spiritual lives. One of the things that, that oftentimes people who've been around church for a while, they'll say is, I'm just waiting on God. I'm waiting on God for, tell me, for him to tell me to do something. I'm just waiting on God. And, and of course, like, there's times where we need to wait on God. Of course, there is some truth in that statement. But some of us, we've used that as a crutch for not wanting to do anything or grow or mature or move spiritually if we're honest with ourselves. Another phrase that some of us say, and this might hit home, I think I've probably even done this before, it's Christianese for I don't want to make that decision right now. We'll say, hey, um, let me pray about that. You know, if somebody asks you to do something and you're not sure you want to do it, the Christian answer that a lot of us say is, let me, I'll pray about that. I'll pray about that. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm a big fan of prayer. Prayer is a really important thing, right? But let's be honest. Have you ever said, I'll pray about that and just use it as an excuse to push something off and not make a decision? Stay inactive or stagnant in your life. You see, some of us were, were paralyzed by inactivity in our spiritual lives. And there's lots of different reasons for that. You know, I think there's probably even some good reasons for that. One of the reasons that I think some of us, we struggle with this is because we really want to please God. Like, we have this desire to please God, and we're worried that if we make a decision that isn't in line with God's will, then somehow we're going to disappoint him, or we're not going to please him. And so instead of moving forward in faith, we actually just stay inactive and stagnant in our lives. I was thinking about this even with my own life, thinking about my calling into ministry to become a pastor and to, to start working for this church. I grew up uh, in, in the church. I grew up in kind of this marginal Christian home. I, I wasn't somebody who was actually living for Jesus, but I was in the pews most Sundays. And growing up, the, the pastor of the church that I was a part of, he had this really clear really strong calling from God that he was supposed to be in ministry. He was in the business world, and he had this experience with God where uh, it was almost like God like audibly spoke to him one day when he was driving down the car that he was supposed to leave his job and to go into ministry. And so hearing that growing up, even though I wasn't a Christian at the time, my perception of what it meant to be called by God or to go into ministry is that God has to audibly speak to you in order for you to go into ministry. So I became a Christian at the end of my senior year of high school. I came to Bowling Green. I got involved with this church right away. I loved it. It was awesome. And I started serving. I started volunteering like many people here today do. And I started seeing God do some cool things. I was leading Bible studies. I got to lead a couple people to Jesus. I went on all these different mission trips. And as I was growing and maturing, some people on the staff of the church at that time, they said, hey, have you ever thought about going into ministry. It seems like it's something you enjoy. It seems like there's something that, that God has used you to do some cool things. And, and I said, well, no, I've never thought about it. I haven't heard God audibly tell me I'm supposed to go into ministry. And they said, well, I'm not sure that that's what is going to happen for you. And so I dug myself into figuring out what is what does it mean to follow the will of God? What does it mean to be called? And I started to talk to every pastor or man or woman in ministry and ask them the question, what did your calling to go into ministry look like? And what I found was that hardly any of them had the same experience as the guy that I thought was the normative. Hardly any of them had heard this voice from God. Hardly any of them had, had seen fire rain down from heaven uh, and, and telling them, you shall leave this and go into vocational ministry, you know? 
hardly any of them had that experience. They said, I started to serve. I enjoyed it. I saw some fruit from it. And the people around me were encouraging me that that's what God might be asking me to do. And then each and every one of them said, I had to make a decision. I had to take a step of faith to go into ministry. And I thought, wow, that's a much different paradigm than I'd had. See, I wanted to please God so much, I was afraid of making a mistake. And through understanding what it was like to follow his will, I realized he wasn't going to rain down fire from heaven and tell me what to do. It was a decision that I would make in faith as I partnered with God and moved forward. And so many of us were, were paralyzed by fear because we can't take a step forward because we want to please God. Another reason some of us, we can't take a step of faith and move forward is because the world that we live in right now has so many different options, has so many different things that we could pursue or we could do. Think about this for, for just a minute. This blew my mind as I was preparing this week to think about. Just come on a, a time travel journey with me just 100 years back for a quick minute, okay? It's 2019 this year. Picture Bowling Green in 1919, right? 100 years ago, in the grand scope of eternity, that's not very long ago at all. Think about how different the world was back then. Think about how much simpler the world was back then. And this isn't good or bad. This is just reality. And one of the things that especially a lot of young people they deal with, the two most common questions that they ask is, who should I marry? Who should I spend the rest of my life with? And what should I do? What career should I, should I take? What path should I go on in my life? Think 100 years ago about that decision. All right, in a town this size, you probably have 40, 50, 60 other people in your same general age range. And so those were your options, you know? You just kind of look around at the other people that existed within this town at that time. And it wasn't like you could really go that far outside of that. So you just look around, you're like, okay, uh, you, all right, let's do this thing. And you would get married. That's what it was. It was pretty simple back then. Well, fast forward, 2019, you can get on the internet and literally date millions of people. I'm not exaggerating. You shouldn't do it at the same time, but you can. You can date millions of people. You can get on match.com. You can find profiles of countless amounts of people, right? That complicates things. And there's some good things about that too. It's not a right or a wrong. It's just a reality. And so some of us, all those options lead us to indecision. Same with careers. You know, we tell our kids, now you can be anything that you want to be. And that's pretty true in a lot of ways. That wasn't true 100 years ago. You were usually what your mother or father was. You followed in their footsteps. And so it was much simpler. And so we're paralyzed sometimes because of all these different options. We want to please God, but we have all these options in front of us. And we say, how in the world could I ever make a decision? I don't want to do something wrong. I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to make a mistake and I think the words of Jesus here are, are really, really powerful because some of us, we can get so worried and stressed out with all the different options and our desire to please God that it leads us to not take steps of faith. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six. He's talking about this very reality. And he says, look at the birds of the air. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Look at the birds. They're not worried about what they're wearing or where they're gonna eat. Just look at the flowers. They're not worried about what they're going to They know that their provision is taken care of on a day-to-day -day basis. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. So he tells them don't to worry, not to worry. But then here's what he tells them to help them understand why they don't have to worry. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, they'll be given to you. They'll be taken care of. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, listen, we can take the pressure off of ourselves and we can move forward in faith if we are doing this one simple thing. One simple thing, if we're seeking God first. If we're legitimately saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to live for you. We can put our faith and trust in him and we can move forward and we're not going to mess up his plan because God's bigger than us. God has a plan. He's sovereign over all these things. If we're seeking him first, we can move forward in freedom because God is a God that loves us and that cares about us. And we don't have to be paralyzed by indecision. We don't have to be afraid or overthink things if we're doing that, seeking God first. And then we get the privilege of partnering with him and living out an act of faith. And so the, the hope and the goal of today is that we would demystify the, this question of what should I do or what is God's will, and we would go to God's word and find out what it looks like to live an active faith. That's a big idea for today. Following God is about faith in action. See, to follow God, it is about faith, but it's about putting our faith into action as we partner with him and we grow and when we mature, we take steps of faith to walk with him. We're going to look at a passage in the book of James. James is a really interesting book of the Bible. If you know a little bit about James, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. So, so James is Jesus' brother. And James was pretty indecisive about who Jesus was for most of his life. You can imagine that that would probably be true for you as well, right? If your brother or your half-brother started saying that they were the son of God, you know, you would probably be like, I don't know, I grew up with you. You know, I, I, I've been around you my whole life that's hard for me to imagine. So James was on the fence about who Jesus was, but something changed with James when Jesus went to the cross and was resurrected. Then all of a sudden, something clicked with James, and he was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. I just saw my brother literally raised from the dead. I guess he is who he said he was. So James is this brother of Jesus, and even though he was on the fence and indecisive about who Jesus was, when he saw Jesus risen from the dead, he said, I'm going to give everything to live for him. And so James starts writing to these different churches. And the book of James is a book that's written to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem at the time. And James is very direct. Like, he just tells it like it is. For some of us in our culture and our world, we don't always do that nowadays. So you might have to take a deep breath as we read some of these passages because James is talking directly to the people of that church and he's not really holding anything back when it comes to what it looks like to put our faith into action and live an act of faith. So that's some background as to where we're going today. So you can open up with me if you want. You can pull out your handouts. James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to look at these three different points that James talks about. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says this. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
James isn't holding much back here at all, is he? And I think it leads us to our first point. It's this, that active faith isn't always convenient. Active faith isn't always convenient. Did you catch the example that James uses there? Right, he says, picture this reality. You know, you're, you're out on the street and you see somebody. Maybe it's even somebody you know. He says it's a brother or sister. So maybe it's somebody that's somehow connected to you. And as you see them, their clothes are, are barely on. Their clothes are, are just tattered and torn. There's hardly anything even covering them up. You can see their ribs. They're like starving. And they come up to you and they say, can you help me? James says, if you just say to them, let me pray about that. <laughs> let, me th- let, me, let me pray about it and I'll get back to you. But hey, go and, and, and I hope you have a great day. He says, if you say that reality, what good was it to them? Were you actually putting your faith into action? See, James says there's this tangible reality of our faith that has to be put into action. And as we think about that, if God brings a need, an opportunity before us, the normative response for us is to act on that need and to respond. And of course, there's all different types of disclaimers. And of course, that doesn't mean that every person that you see that asks you for a dollar, you have to give them a dollar. But the norm, if God brings an opportunity into our life as followers of Christ who are putting our faith into action is to respond and meet that need so that God can get the glory of the reality of that situation. Have you ever thought about how God wants to use you? See, I believe that God doesn't bring opportunities into our life by accident. He brings opportunities, whatever they may look like, whether they're physical, whether they're emotional, whether they're spiritual. If there's a need that can be met that is placed before us and we are the only one that can meet that need, I think the majority of the time God wants us to spring into action. I would venture to say that oftentimes we may not even need to pray about it. We can simply act because God has given us a faith of action. So let me ask you this question. As you think about that reality, when was the last time where you took a step of faith that took you out of your comfort zone? When was the last time that you did something that that you felt like God might have wanted you to do? There was an opportunity in front of you. It may not have been comfortable, but you took a step of faith to meet that need. See, of course, for us to, to put our faith into action, there's times where it might even require sacrifice on our part. The example that James gives here, you know, there was some type of financial sacrifice that the person would have to make in order to, to help meet that need. It's not always convenient. And so when was the last time you partnered with God and did something that might have made you a little bit uncomfortable, it wasn't convenient but you knew God was asking you to take a step of faith, to take a step of action, to do something for him. See, our our faith, when we put it into action, is not always convenient, but man, it gives us the opportunity to partner with the most important impact that we could ever make. Let's read on. James gets even a little more direct, believe it or not. In verse 18, he says this. Right after he says that, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. 
So James is already anticipating, yeah, but there's going to be people that argue with the point that you're making right there. He says, so some of you guys may say, well, yeah, um, I mean, you do some deeds, but I actually have faith. You know, mine's internal, yours is external, they're all the same. James says, some of you will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Here's the second thing that I think we can learn from this passage. There's a difference between knowing the facts and living out your faith. There's a massive difference between knowing the facts about who God is, who Jesus is, and actually walking in faith and living out your faith. I told some of you uh, the privilege I get to be the chaplain on the football team. I get to to work with them, and whenever it's in season, we travel and the the night before the game we have like this optional bible study and uh, a while back there was one of the coaches who was a really fired up believer he was an awesome guy it actually made my job really easy because you know he had a ton of credibility with all the players and he was really direct and so uh, oftentimes me and him would kind of work in tandem a little bit and we were at this optional chapel and he always felt more freedom to be a little bit more direct at the optional time because the guys were choosing to be there and wanted to to grow and, and learn about their faith and so we were in this Bible study, and he had kind of, the, the coach had kind of zeroed in on one of the players. I don't know if he knew something that was going on in his life or knew that God was working somehow, and he looked at him. He said, hey, where are you with the Lord? You know, just real direct. Hey, where are you with Jesus? Where, where are you at with him? And the player responded, and he said, I believe in God, and the coach responded right away and said, well, good, then you agree with the devil. <laughs> it was a joke, kind of, but you know, James said the same thing. Just because you believe in God, so does the devil. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean that you're actually following him, does it? I believe in God. Well, great. The demons do too. The question isn't, do you believe in God? The question is, are you following him? Are you walking with him in faith? Are you working in tandem with him, on mission with him? You believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. There's a difference between knowing the facts. Yeah, God is real. And following him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? James says that's the type of faith. Not knowledge, but faith to walk with God that makes a difference. And, and of course, there's tons of disclaimers here because this passage has actually been a divisive passage over hundreds of years within the church because some people say, is James saying that we have to work our way to God? That that's the way that we get right with God is by doing a bunch of works? That is absolutely not at all what James is saying here. Our faith, the Christian faith, the gospel, is not that we can work our way to God. We simply cannot do that. You know, we don't have a, a, a works-based faith but we have a faith that does works. When we put our faith and trust in Christ out of the overflow of our hearts, it encourages us to live on mission with God. We might say that the good works, they can't produce salvation, but salvation, the reality that God has changed us and come, come into our lives, it most certainly produces good works. Good works can't produce salvation, but salvation will produce good works if we're truly transformed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ, it will encourage us and inspire us to act and do something for God. 
John Calvin, he's a famous theologian. He says it like this. He says, it is faith alone that justifies. Big Christian word for makes us right with God. It's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. It's faith alone that justifies, but when we have true faith, it encourages us and requires us to act. Real faith leads us to act. And I think as we're we're sitting here today, and as we're listening to the words of James, we have to ask the question, is your faith just a knowledge of some facts, or is it something that you have said, God, I'm going to give you my life and seek first your righteousness no matter what? Because the sad reality is there's many people across the world who have sat in the pews of churches who know a lot of facts about God but have never said, I want to follow you. I want to give my heart to you and walk with you and have a faith that truly changes the way that I live and the way that I love. See, there's a difference between knowing the facts and living out your faith. Third and finally, I want to say this as we're wrapping up here today. It's this, that active faith calls us us to fight fear and take risk. When we're truly living an active faith, it causes us to fight fear and take a risk. You know, as we look throughout our world, as you turn on the news, as you look at social media, there is so much that's thrown at us oftentimes in an attempt to manipulate us into fear, right? I mean, as you look at our world, there's so much that we feel like we could be afraid of. And and as you think about it, our our world is at this place where we are more heightened and more worried and, and more scared than we've ever been before because of all the different things that are thrown at us. I know that fear is something that so many of us struggle with, and we're actually going to talk even more directly about that in the third week of this series. But as we think about fear and faith, those two things don't go together. See, faith is something that causes us to move forward for God, and fear is something that causes us to shriek back and say, I can't do it. But when we realize our faith is about God, it changes our ability to act. I want to share this story just quickly from the Old Testament. It's the story of Esther. And if you've never read the story of Esther, you should go read it this week. It's it's an amazing story of a woman who is just bold and fearless in the face of much danger, but she was so bold for the Lord. Esther lived in this time thousands of years ago. The world was much different, and many of the things they did back then, they weren't right, but the Bible is just recording the reality of what happened. Esther was this beautiful young peasant, and the king during that time, King Xerxes, wanted to have the most beautiful wife in the whole land, so they did this like beauty contest where they brought any woman that they thought was beautiful into this contest, and he said, whoever wins the contest, she's going to become the queen because I want to have the most beautiful wife in the land. And so Esther gets entered into the contest. She wins the whole contest, and she becomes the queen of Persia. She is the queen to King Xerxes. And King Xerxes during this time had occupation over God's people, over the Jewish people, and he was not a follower of God, but Esther was. She was somebody who was a Jew who loved God and loved her people. Well, there was one of the king's right-hand men. His name was Haman, and he hated the Jews. He wanted to extinguish them. He wanted to make sure that they were taken out. 
like has happened over the course of history many times. So he comes up with this plan and he gets together with the king and he says, anybody who's worshiping God needs to be put to death. And the king somehow through these circumstances agrees that that's what's gonna happen. And so this plan to have all the Jews wiped out and extinct by the end of this week was about to be put into place while Esther finds out about this plan. And her and her cousin, Mordecai, they start saying, what can we possibly do? I mean, this is something that has to be stopped, but what in the world could we do? And Mordecai, her cousin, her cousin says, listen, you need to go to the king. You need to go to the king and tell him who you truly are and tell him that those are your people and he can't kill them. He can't wipe them out. Esther says, that's a great plan. The only problem is if I walk before the king without being summoned, without being called, the, the law of the land during that time is you would be put to death immediately. There were no questions asked. It would be disrespectful, especially, again, this isn't right. This was just the culture at that time, especially for a woman to walk into a, a king's palace and walk into his room without being summoned meant that you would be put to death. She says, I can't do it. And Mordecai says, you need to do it. You're our only hope. We pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. As she's wrestling with this decision, as she's wrestling with this fear of, can I do this? Am I going to die? Am I going to be put to death? We read, it says, go. Esther's talking. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights. I and my attendants will fast with you too. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And she says these amazing words. She says, and if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. But I have to do something. I have to take a step of faith. I have to put myself out there. I have to, to move. And as the rest of the story goes and as history tells us, as she went before the king, he had compassion on her because she had favor with him and he decides that he's not gonna go through with the plan and God's people continue to live. And through that act of faith, as God's people grow and multiply, Jesus comes from that same lineage and then Jesus took action and he came to this earth for you and for me because he loves us and he cares for us. And we see that Esther's step of faith not only saved her people but changed the trajectory of history for every single one of us. It's an amazing story and I love how she says, listen, something has to be done. If I perish, I perish. I'm not going to let fear Stop me. She could have been selfish. She would have been fine. But she said, no, I'm going to take a step of faith for my people and for God. And I wonder about all of us as we're here today. Are there things that you sense God is encouraging you to do, to take a step of faith? And you haven't been able to say those phrases yet. If I perish, I perish. Now, most of us, we're not going to die because of the steps of faith God might be asking us to take. But a lot of us are scared. So maybe you need to get to the point where you say, if I sound stupid, I sound stupid. But God, I'm going to take a step of faith for you. If I fall on my face, I fall on my face. But God, I'm going to take a step of faith for you. How if, I, if I look dumb, I look dumb. But God, I'm going to take a step of faith for you. God, if I fail, I fail. But I'm going to give everything I have because I'm seeking you and your kingdom first. See, God wants us to live a faith 
that's active. Not dictated by fear, but a faith that trusts in him to overcome our weaknesses and to overcome the mistakes and the shortcomings that we may have. As you head into 2019, ask this question, when was the last time you took a risk for God? When was the last time you said, God, I'm going to take a step of faith and see how you respond? If you're seeking first the kingdom of God, you can't go wrong. It doesn't mean that everything will work out perfect. It doesn't mean that everything will go the way you want it to. But you cannot fail if you're seeking God first as you're moving forward in faith. You see, our faith is something that's active and alive. And God wants to partner with us as we seek to bring him glory in this town, on that campus, in this region, as we're trying to share the love of Christ with Jesus. It takes us doing something and partnering with him. That's our heart. That's our goal. That's our desire for our church, for you as individuals as we head into this year. So let's pray, and let's ask God to give us that faith to move forward.